Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. I got my friend here, fellow collaborator, Danny Mariathis. How are you, buddy? How's everything? Not bad. Not bad, Daniel. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm just surviving, you know, (laughs) not (laughs) not knowing what's happening next. Uh, A lot of uncertainty. But, uh, you know, just staying creative. I'm sure you're doing the same. Absolutely. I mean, for all of the other uh, bad things, and and there are a lot of bad things about this current situation, let's be real. Uh, but it sure is kind of conducive, at least for me, to uh, to be creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know if it's the oppression of the situation. I don't know if it's the lack of kind of uh, external motivators and, and, and stuff, or not motivators, but just, you know, external things being able to influence you. Um, you just don't get that many opportunities to do that in, in the current climate. So I, yeah. I feel like there's a lot more opportunity for things internally to bubble up to the surface. This is a great opportunity to just take advantage, go full force. Um, I don't know about you, but when I used to try to pursue these creative projects in the past, like the vlogs or the podcast, I would always reach a, a bump because I was working or I was just getting caught up in you know, that part-time job, the full-time job, wherever I was uh, in my career. And I really never kind of delved into this passion of mine, this this thing that I wanted to do all my life to at least say, I tried it, I gave it a shot. For sure, yeah. So it, it's really um, important that people see that side, that there is a bright side to everything. I know, I don't know your situation, it could be very grim on your end. Um, I'm not arguing uh, with you on that. However, you really do need to, if you're in a situation where you wanna pursue your dream or there's, there's a hobby that you wanna pick up, this is the best time. This is the time where things just slow down and you're able to just catch up. And it worked out it's an, uh, for my favorite, yeah. Yeah, it's an opportunity, uh, wouldn't you say, to invest in yourself, right? Invest or in yourself, before, exactly. Yeah. Look inward. Yeah, look inward. And yeah, yeah. Um, especially because I'm in my 20s, right? And, you know, if you're mm-hmm. in your 30s, anyone that, that's in that um, age group, I know we joke around, we're, we're getting old. I see it all the time on those Instagram posts. But the reality mm-hmm. is, is we're so young. Um, I talked to my parents I mean, that are, you know, in their late fifties and they're the ones that are saying, no, no, no. When you reach that age. And even a lot of people would argue <laughs> that age is, 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 you know what I mean? Still young, but I know what they're saying yeah. is you don't realize how young you are until you're at that point in your life. Right. Where so, you're properly old. Yeah. No, yeah. Where you're properly old and you're actually classified as, you know, a senior, right. Or yeah, middle-aged yeah. Um, your twenties is, is your breaking. This is your stomping ground. This is the time to, you know, get, get dirty, get your hands dirty and uh, do whatever it takes really uh, to pursue your passion. And no, hundred percent. Yeah. So on that note, um, I have to say this right out of the blue, because I talked to a number of people so far on this podcast and majority of them are in film. And what's striking about yourself is you fully embrace writing something. A lot of people don't even have the courage to look at the blank page. Uh, they had openly admit it because again, like I said, it takes a lot of courage to do so. Yeah. <laughs> what is? <it? laughs> so I highly commend you on that uh, because I, yes, yes. I have to say it, it, it's very uh, admirable, but what is it about writing that you chose out of all the roles in filmmaking that writing is your thing? I mean, you know, I think it speaks for, I, I think it worked differently for a lot of different people. Um, for me, it was definitely partly, in large part because I was really introverted, um, quite young. Uh, I grew up in Montreal, which in of itself, if you're, a, if you're an Anglo in a Franco area, you're already kind of <laughs> on an <laughs> island, so to speak. And then uh, if you're an Anglo 
and you're brown in an area that's predominantly Franco and, and not There's so a lot much of things working against you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so you're kind of, so I was kind of put in a situation early on where I was an observer. Um, mm. And, you know, you inherently you become a student of, of human character, of psychology, uh, the mechanisms of kind of uh, human interaction and the ecology of you know, small on small sample sizes, society, right? right? Mm -hmm. uh, and within that, so once you kind of are forced to sit back and observe as opposed to being, because when you're in it and you're partaking fully, um, I feel like you're kind of not probably given the bandwidth to be able to soak in everything that's happening, especially on a more granular level. That wasn't a problem for me, Daniel, because, uh, yeah. you know, uh, ba based on where I was at, like you, I, I observed kind of everything the, from, from, from everybody's story, you know, not just not just my own. I, I, I wasn't I didn't have the luxury of being preoccupied with my own story, which was really good. It worked out really well because I could gain an appreciation uh, for everybody else's. You know what I mean? And um, once you do that, you kind of start to see the pieces or the connections between pieces, between people, between situations that bleed into people and people that bleed into situations and the, uh, the emphasis that one can have on the other. And um, I feel like that gave me the ability or the appreciation for storytelling. And I think um, as a writer, and I'm sure you can relate as well. I mean, you, yeah, you, for sure. You've got a writing background and even as, as, as with your directing background as well, mm -hmm. you're still kind of in the gig of storytelling, right? And as yeah. a writer, primarily, you've got an appreciation for stories and the telling of the stories and the integrity and the authenticity of the story from the standpoint of like, okay, well, does this character belong in this situation? Does it make sense? Is it authentic that this yeah. character would react in this way? And um, it's it's funny, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about it too, but like, don't you find that often a, a good story idea can come from like the most randomest of things? Yeah, a, gr a great story um, does come from literally the most random, you know, acts of inspiration, uh, sometimes yeah. when you least expect it. Um, yeah. I, I guess the cliche thing is when you're in a shower, um, that's actually happened to me multiple <laughs> times. Yeah. Like where an idea will strike. I think there's something yeah, yeah. therapeutic about the water hitting your back or something, uh, <laughs> that you just like, maybe the creative juices are flowing a different way. Uh, mm. but yeah, with regards to storytelling, um, I think, uh, like you said, with regards to writing or directing the best stories are the best form of inspiration I've identified in my works where it comes from my past. It comes from yeah. a place where I want to tell my stories. And, mm -hmm. you know, the stories that we've created, even um, the one that we collaborated with last called Cracked, uh, mm -hmm. written with you and Kosa, that um, story, what I explained to you, you and him is I wanted to, I was going through um, some mental illness, some kind of low part of my life, and I wanted to apply it as best as I could express it uh, through my role as the director, as the cinematographer, and ultimately the editor. Mm -hmm. And that's where what I'm saying is regards to storytelling, the best stories, this is why, again, Tarantino, this is why I love Scorsese, is they use the experiences in their past um, to make the best story possible, to make it most authentic, as you were saying. Authentic, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The, the word authentic is what's very key. And, and that's why you and I 
uh, have collaborated and plan to collaborate more because we value that word authenticity to not compromise, uh, you know, just for the sake of compromising or for the sake yeah, of appealing 100%. to just a yeah. niche market. We compromise yeah. only if it's going to make sense. It's always for the Absolutely. sake of the story, right? Yeah. So that's very important. What Actually, you and, said. And if, yeah, go ahead. And sorry. if I could kind of uh, carry that thought, just like another sure. one step forward is, um, when you're in that situation as a, as a writer and you're working with a director and a cinematographer and an editor, you wore a lot of hats on that one day. Yeah, <laughs> no, I did. I did. Yeah. I was a caterer too. I brought paninis. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to give you the best marks on that one. But, yeah, I know. Uh, right? Them, you know <laughs> I got food. Po- <laughs> Danny's like, I got food poisoning. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was a weak part, man. I wouldn't put that on the resume. Just, just like yeah. that joke I made from the caterers of Cracked. <laughs> That's going to be my credit on the next project. <laughs> No, absolutely. Absolutely. Just don't, you know, I don't know if you're going to get the best of uh, reviews necessarily. Like if anyone calls me for a reference, Daniel, I'm going to have to be honest. But no, like as, as, as a writer, um, when you're working with a director and an editor, uh, you know what, our, our whole, the whole cast that we worked with on Cracked, I mean, the outside of the, the work and outside of the talent that everybody kind of brought forward, um, the authenticity that kind of everyone lended towards, and, and you can kind of see it in the final product, is that mm. it's just that much better for it, you know? And, um, but it, you can't come up with that if you don't have the proper story, you know? And, and mm-hmm. to, to circle back to, like, to, to your question, it's, I think, a major part of why people feel a little bit of a, I don't know, a, a little bit of weight, you know, when they when they take on telling a story, because the authenticity is something I feel most people, if not all, inherently feel an obligation for, you know, whether or not it's executed is, is a completely different matter, which, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that, I'm sure later, as far sure. as the, um, the technical demands of screenwriting is a story in of itself. But um, yeah, just the weight that kind of comes with right telling a story especially if it comes from a real place like of course you know uh, that you mentioned um scorsese and like i and i know and i know you and i both kind of worship at the altar of tarantino but scorsese Mm -hmm. i think in this particular example with the the topics and um the characters that he's you know told stories about i don't think he had a whole lot of wiggle room to get it wrong you know what i mean yeah no for Uh, sure yeah, well, he grew and, up and with, I, think, I wanted to interject, he grew, he grew up with um, that community. The reason why he makes yeah. a lot of movies revolving around violence or mobs, uh, the yeah. mafia, is because that was his reality when he was growing up. And that's why he has such a sympathy towards these characters and that sure. provides such a three-dimensionality to them is because he explains yes, yes. they were real people to me. They were people that yeah, you would say yeah. hi to. They were people that your dad would know. And it would be a disservice. It would be unjust for him to make them cartoons. And when I heard that, I said, this is, this is why we admire him. This is what makes a good movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of things, like a lot of people that get into or want to pursue film or writing or or try to view the art form, they got to look at it from a science. Like there's, there's, you have to reverse engineer it. Um, What I did when I was starting out is I would say, I would get a lineup of all my favorite movies or directors. And I say, what made them a good movie? No, ser- and I said mm-hmm. to myself, no, seriously, there's something there that made it a good movie. It wasn't because it was just the music or the shots. There was something going on that 
I, I need to know, I need to understand. Mm-hmm. And that's when you start dissecting the story and you start learning terms again, like three-dimensional, right? Parallels, foreshadowing, um, you know, paying off, uh, mm-hmm. you know, climactic scenes. The, these, kinds of, these kinds of uses in, in, in writing help you to understand why you as a viewer are drawn to these powerful stories, why you keep going back, that rewatchability. Yes, there's all those perks, those are, uh, you know, the beautiful, the music that they put, the score, and again, the very mm-hmm. stylistic shots and their own, you know, spin on directing. But it always goes back to the core of the story and how they present it. It's a very unique way. And it's something that I feel any great filmmaker that aspires for greatness would want want to aspire to, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm so glad you used that word three-dimensional um, because there's such a, and you know, not to knock these those particular offerings, but I feel like the audience now is such a more well-versed, knowledgeable audience that you couldn't really get away with, you can get away easily with doing kind of like caricatures of, uh, of, of people and, and, and expecting it to fly or expecting it to be successful because I, I feel like now there's such a value put on having layered stories and and mm-hmm. not to say there's still not a, a, a market for like kind of light viewing or you know the odd kind of you know just like guilty pleasure silly fair yeah, yeah 100%, turn off your brain pleasure. you know popcorn flicks absolutely yeah. <laughs> absolutely there's still a you know there's still a demand for that and as there should be uh but i think that the the opposite end of the coin is so much more appreciated now than it ever was really and true I, and i truly do believe that you know um, there's such an appreciation for the artists that contribute. Like, I don't believe at any other point we've had such an, a wide appreciation of like things like showrunners, you know, or, or, um, or, or screenwriters, you know, like, of course, actors and, and directors have been held up on a pedestal for, and deservedly so, right? Um, but now, like, we're getting a much more appreciate, we're, we're getting so much more appreciation for this full spectrum of it and i think that that's a good thing it, it pushes people to continuously push themselves because they're being held up to a standard that's a finite almost standard now and that's great that's fantastic i, I love that personally well it pushes it pushes the art form right and absolutely that, that's all you uh, that's that's what you really want to see television for the longest yeah. time was regarded as you know where yeah, actors go to example. die kind of thing right and yeah, yeah, yeah look at it look at it now back to what you were saying 100%. about yeah. Uh, taking it to a new level and the appreciation yeah. of three-dimensional characters, right? Um, there's some sitcoms, you know, sitcoms were notorious for that, where they're just kind of cartoon characters, you know, running mm-hmm. around, they have their own situations. And again, they're not the greatest form of television. However, mm-hmm. there, there were some, there were the few that came by that, mm-hmm. you know, would, would attempt that, would attempt that three-dimensional characters. And that's why they're still with us. That's why they became part of pop culture. But yeah, but it's it's a shame that when you look back, a lot of them didn't last as long as I think they would last now if given the same kind of and no. if given an opportunity now. You know what I mean? No, no, no. Yeah, it's, which kind of sucks. Television, yeah, television. There, there was a there was a nice innocence to it, like a charm. Um, mm-hmm. How the sitcoms were made, uh, because there was mm-hmm. a time when, like you were saying, it doesn't it didn't have to be so brooding and three dimensional. It didn't have to. You know, you didn't have to in, invest in all the flaws of the characters and, and, and really discover, uh, you know, who they are at their core. But I think art is always a reflection on life and reality and what's happening. True. And I think this is the best yeah. time 
the best time for the art form and for those like ourselves that would want to tell a gritty dark story because I think people want to learn about what's real life because life isn't black and white life isn't so you know you look at it at first glance like I'm watching a CNN uh, documentary special report on Abraham Lincoln and I'm Mm. just learning like some new things about him uh, because you know again he's revered and he still is as you know the person who freed the slaves Uh, yet it wasn't so it wasn't like he went in there with that purpose there was mm-hmm. his, his biggest goal his primary goal was to preserve the union more than anything and at one point he mm-hmm. even negotiated um, with frederick Douglass about uh you know perhaps sending uh, black people to central america to make everything right you know like i'll save your mm-hmm. people that way and he was you know um obviously against that and, and insulted saying they're just as much citizens of the u.s as white people so it's a very that that was actually pulled from that piece of knowledge was pulled from a uh, documentary series I'm watching. It's with Will Smith. It's called Amend on Netflix. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm Check it. it out. It's really cool. I, wa- I was watching the first part last night. It was about citizenship. Mm-hmm. And again, not that he was a bad man, but it, that's what I mean by three-dimensional is he's not a black and white figure. He had, he was, hu- he was human just like us. And yeah, yes, he had, he was a good man. Like he had a good soul. He, he wasn't a racist, but he also, things were more complex than they appeared. Of course. Right. He yeah. was trying to preserve a country. He was trying mm-hmm. to do what was best for the future generations. And it's easy to look back and say how it's so easy. Just, just abolish slavery. It's just, just how could you not do it? Yes, of course. It's very easy. But in those times and what he was dealing with and the amount of pushback he was going through, again, it's not as straightforward. It's easier to look back and say, oh, that makes sense. You should have done it like this. But in the moment, think about what the person's going through. And I guess that's what we can apply to storytelling really is the viewer, the, the audience member will, will have moments where they'll scream or I'll, I'll catch it with the person I'm watching away saying, why didn't that character pick up the knife? Why didn't he? And mm-hmm. I remind them, I say, no, but this is the problem. And this is what you have to look at is the character picks up the knife. Uh, doesn't Sorry, the character doesn't pick up the knife because of what they're going through in the story not we as an audience what we would do in that situation it's what the character right. would do in that situation and sure. you have to look at now, now an effect of a a really powerful writer will execute those notes and m- make it convincing like you wouldn't even ask that question why why is he not picking up the knife but even the best writing there are people that will still question and say hit him again or why is why mm-hmm. is he you know getting upset in this situation and you have to look at it from the character's perspective you have to always project yeah. yourself in there. Yeah, I mean, um, there's also something to be said as well for cinematic tropes or tendencies within kind of uh, Western filmmakers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Versus international. Sure. Um, I find, I find that at a, I, perhaps this isn't as, as true now, but certainly previously decades past right like I felt there was a lot more innovation being offered uh, within storytelling um, that came from abroad versus here in uh, in North America where filmmakers were a lot more beholden to the demand of the audiences who had grown accustomed to you know and I'm not not shitting on Die Hard or anything like that but like you know I want to see John McClane go beat up some more terrorists (laughs) I want to see Schwarzenegger go find some more guns, you know, and then meanwhile, over in Japan, you've got, you've got like these cinematic masterpieces and you've got like, you know, old boy, you know, coming out and like, these are really kind of like tackling 
complex, really daring uh, storytelling, you know, and it's um, and if if I can kind of go off on on a quick tangent, it's we're For seeing sure. a very similar thing kind of in the music industry right now because mm-hmm. you see out in like places like South Korea and Japan where like they're being so fearless with their blending and fusion of different kind of musical elements, and like I'm kind of curious as to what it is about it from a societal standpoint that allows for that kind of freedom creative creatively um but it, it certainly seems that at this point in time here in north america we're reaching a similar kind of point and at least in terms of filmmaking and and um and you know you were talking about like gritty films and in, in particular yeah. um there's an appreciation to that art form now because there's an appreciation I feel to the stories and the themes that can be tackled with it, which isn't to say For that sure. those same themes can't be tackled. Like you've watched um, the the new Blade Runner. Yeah. Or 2049, right? Blade Runner. Yeah. 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 Um, it's amazing how like for such a visually and you must have an appreciation for this as, as obviously oh, no, somebody... it, it, <laughs> you know me so right? well like, man. that's that's exactly yeah. the style that i love like the lighting yeah, yeah it was beautiful yeah. palette color palette yeah absolutely gorgeous gorgeous, gorgeous. Like, yeah absolutely the, the yeah. cinematography is like next level but like mm-hmm. the story itself is is such a for it's a number one it's a simple story when you break it down to when Very you dilute simple. it to its core yeah. you know and there's some real risks being taken there you know there's some real questions um, another one, actually, and this is kind of seemed kind of random going from, but actually maybe not because it's also another Ridley Scott flick. Prometheus, have you seen it? Yes, Prometheus, yeah. Uh, yeah, A of lot. course. I, I, I vaguely re- remember it. I probably have to rewatch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I know I know there was a lot of problems. A lot of people were commenting like they can't, things didn't add up or make sense. I liked it from a visual standpoint. I thought it was another yeah. gorgeous film to look at. But yeah, yeah. I'm curious to hear, hear your thoughts. I mean, I agree with you. I think visually it was a, stunning film like um uh, the choices that were made uh not just for the characters and the the antagonists um you know the engineers as they were called but um just like the the world that uh ridley scott kind of created for it was just amazing uh, on par in my opinion with uh with blade runner but um putting that aside like there's some real questions being asked there and maybe that's something that kind of threw off people is like some of those questions didn't get an answer to our liking and that's mm. that's fair you know i don't i feel like that's something that another imposition that writers directors um editors feel cinematographers um is the need to kind of have everything wrapped up in a bow uh yeah. at the end in a yeah. conclusion like sometimes that just doesn't work that way you know like you ask questions that are ahead of you so you're not there sufficiently enough to be able to answer the question and that's that's okay like we don't we don't watch movies for tutorials we we watch movies to kind of be expanded and and, and have our creative juices challenged and and provoked and I, I feel like Ridley Scott did that with um and I, and you know I'm saying that as somebody who's not necessarily the biggest Ridley Scott fan as well if I'm that's being great honest. yeah like, it's a test you know <laughs> I, the, the dude like it, it's you're gonna you're probably or your people are probably gonna want to crucify me on this one but like michael bay you know he's mm-hmm. he's constantly trolled for like <laughs> for but i respect like, him because he I he, do, he does man. he in a way because michael bay is not trying to be something he's not 
you know, he, no. he loves, yeah. he told, he says, he's like, I love explosions. I love girls. I love yeah. like women, whatever. I love all, all these, uh, I like flat eye candy. I love making it flashy and Tarantino, you know, who's highly respected in the industry actually called him once and said, Hey, they shit on me all the time. Don't worry about it. And it's because yeah, Tarantino yeah. loves movies, period. Period. He, he's not, yeah, he's not trying to, you know, uh, cure cancer here. He's just trying to say, you know, if it's an art form, it's an art form, it's entertaining. Yeah, it's an art form. Yeah. He's absolutely. not trying to insult anyone. With, yeah. Okay. Some people, you know, might feel it's, it's racially insensitive in certain aspects, but as a whole, overall, the picture, you know, I, I enjoy transformers. Like I'll watch it. Same. I'll have a good time. Same. Sometimes I'll get yeah. bored. Cause like the action gets really like mind numbing, but right. it looks amazing on Blu-ray. The sounds yeah. incredible. And again, Absolutely. popcorn flick. You don't watch it Absolutely. to be immersed and enthralled, but like a parasite. You don't watch it like Parasite and be like, no, wow, yeah. this is why it won Best Picture. No. And yeah, Parasite yeah. is a movie that you can't take a washroom break. Or if you do, you got to no. pause it. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? You, you yeah. have to always. And it like, lingers. Like Parasite, um, there's, there's been other movies. Get Out as well is um, Requiem for a Dream, um, yeah. Donnie Darko. Like yeah. these are movies that like you watch, and as much as you in you as much as you put yourself in the movie from a from a spectator standpoint, the movie walks away with you. In my opinion, mm -hmm. you know, for mm -hmm. me at any rate, like I didn't walk away from those flicks, and then it was just gone out of my mind. Like, mm -hmm. and I don't mean that in a bad way, like a Michael Bay flick or like you know any any one of those that kind of fit that right. genre you know you watch it you enjoy it you move on and like it doesn't in, it doesn't instill into you anything but these flicks you know they do and that's great like there's a time for that you know there's mm -hmm. um, a period of enjoyment that is suitable for that kind of a flick but I don't know man like uh, I, I feel like for me personally obviously I, I enjoy gritty flicks that's that's my kind of at this point in my evolution as a storyteller as a writer as an actor that's that's kind of where i'm at but um i doesn't mean i don't have a high amount of appreciation for the the eye candies the michael bays the the stunning cinematography and, and you know and i was uh, that's why i wanted to ask you have you mm -hmm. watched um project power um, yes yeah, on netflix yeah, Netflix. And I, I've, I've read like kind of mixed reviews and like some of these mixed reviews were really kind of uh, harsh on it, but I hadn't watched it. So I, I wanted to mm. watch it. And I will say like the climactic scene at the end, no spoilers or anything for you, Daniel. For sure. I know you haven't yeah. watched it, so I'm not going to ruin it for you. But, like, oh no, I've, I've watched it, but for the audience that maybe haven't watched it. <laughs> oh, my bad, my bad. Yeah, no. Yeah, for, yeah. For no, I've watched it on Netflix. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, but like that climactic scene at the end, right? Like mm -hmm. that might be no joke. One of the most, and that's including all of these MCU movies I've watched recently and mm -hmm. the DCEU movies and like, you know, all of those taken into consideration, the climactic scene in Project Power might be the best visually. Now I'm talking visually might be mm -hmm. the best minute or two minutes of film I've seen in a very long time like yeah. it i i re-watched that particular scene at least probably four or five times during my first viewing like right. i didn't even wait till the full i didn't even finish watching the, the whole damn movie right 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, like i was i was in it yeah and then it happened i'm like yeah no i gotta see that again yeah, you know yeah, and it yeah. was just it was so visually stunning and and so well done with um with jamie fox and you know, I don't know everybody else that that played a part in it, but like that was just 
amazing. So like, mm. you know, there's, there's a room for everything and there should be an appreciation for everything as well. It is an art and like, like all other art forms, like it doesn't only occupy one very narrow part of the spectrum. There's, you know, as with people, like it's so diverse. So, yeah, I don't, I don't believe I'm the kind of guy where I, I don't believe anything is really a bad movie. Uh, there's always a piece of inspiration, at least for me that I take from it, uh, whether it's yeah. a scene or a line of dialogue. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't completely dismiss a movie uh, just to dismiss it. Again, there are some that are very hard to watch, but I always like, for example, like the Batman versus Superman, a lot of people shit on it and a lot of people give it crap. And for me, I, I, again, there are, there are problems with the story. There's moments when it's like, did, did you need, you know, a big bad villain at the end? You know, why couldn't it just mm-hmm. be a, a story about two, two heroes, you know, trying to re- resolve their, their uh, different ideals. But I liked, I liked the story at its core, you know, and I liked mm-hmm. how Zack Snyder tried his best to give his own vision toward it. He, he grounded, he tried to ground it in reality as much as he could, as goofy as some people thought it would be. But I think he did mm. it. He was pretty successful that way. Like there's a scene that comes to mind a lot where he goes to the Capitol and it just explodes. Now, mm. I, I really, I, I wish they would have um, kind of drawn it out a bit more or kind of mm. used it as a way to frame Superman or kind of make him make uh, humans turn against him. Uh, but it was already resolved in the next scene. They said it was a terrorist mm. attack. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. those elements again this is what i mean by taking the good out of the stories is you watch it and you're and you and you think of that and i was like that wow that was a really cool brief moment and it was inspiring yeah. you know i yeah. maybe i could use this concept in, in something of my own writing or you know it, it just to completely ignore uh, a movie entirely it, it is not smart it's not wise no. i think if you're a true storyteller a true filmmaker you'll you'll watch any form of content any form of entertainment and mm-hmm. you're you're able to at least recognize the vision um that they're trying to portray that they're trying to deliver to to the audience right and i wanted to mention something because you were mentioning about blade runner 2049 uh exceptionally well done movie um and that deserved more praise than what it got um but it's just the circumstances whatever have you (laughs) the market doesn't lie as they say whatever the market Mm -hmm. wants it, it gets however um i enjoyed one, one thing i really enjoyed about the movie and like you said it's a very simple story mm-hmm. but this is what i mean by subverting expectations uh take, taking it in another direction where mm-hmm. there's this whole notion on like i was explaining before the character that we're watching or what they're doing we feel like they owe us something like they mm-hmm. uh, are important to the story they are bigger than than the story but in reality they're in our world they're bigger for us for example harrison yeah. ford uh, han solo and star wars right he's mm-hmm. big mm-hmm. he's big for us you know in our pop culture in our universe but in the star wars universe he's not he's just a random character he's a smuggler and they made a note of that in solo a star wars story i appreciated that line when he's like yeah no one cares what your name is because in that world to those characters they don't care who han solo is he doesn't have his own action figure line and he doesn't mm. make a uh Harrison Ford, you know, is not portraying him. That's a character in that universe. So what I'm trying to make a point with Blade Runner is Ryerson, 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 <laughs> Ryan Gosling, <laughs> mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling in that, in that story, mm-hmm. there is a moment where they were alluding to him being the product of a human and an Android mm-hmm. um, procreating. Right. Mm-hmm. And he, there was a moment yeah. where he, he felt this is why I'm different. And even the yeah. woman 
that's a hologram even told them like i always knew you would be different and again it's playing into yeah, our yeah, emotions yeah. as humans yeah, it's that, that whole build up that yeah, concept yeah. of the chosen one the philosophy yeah the, yeah, the, yeah oh i'm special i'm 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 important whatever and again in our universe he should be the one to be important because he's on the front page he's on the the poster yeah. he he's yeah, the center yeah. of the story right? he's doing the From press tours and everything he's doing the yeah, press tour. hey he should get yeah, that man. come on that, that right yeah and yeah. then the the director Denis Villeneuve, this is why he's very talented and I love him for this. As he flips it on its head and he's like, no, tells the audience he's not he's not the one that's a product. It was all an illusion. It was actually the woman mm -hmm. that he was investigating who was the product. Mm -hmm. Some random woman that he was investigating who appears for about five ten minutes, showing us that not all of us are special. Not all of us yeah. have we we have a story. We have a part to play in everyone's story. We were very special in yeah. that way. But in the yeah. grand scheme of things, we're just like everybody else. And there's nothing yeah. that special. And what I loved about that movie, I should add, is Ryan Gosling's character, he, instead of, you know, hiding away and saying, okay, I'm not special or I'm not deserving of being, uh, playing an important part of this story, of this investigation, he proves everybody wrong. He proves the audience wrong and saying, no, I'm still special in my own right. And he ends up mm -hmm. helping Harrison Ford and he saves the day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he pushes the story forward. He pushes the story critical. forward, but he doesn't yeah. need to be. That's not the point of the story. It's not to be like, yes. who is the first uh, product of a human and an android uh, mm -hmm. having sex? Right. Mm -hmm. It is. The story is, is this this android Ryan Gosling trying to figure out who he is and where, where, where he and his part in the story was to be the hero, to be the one. You know, to save. Um, Harrison Ford's character and resolve, yeah. you know, the conflicts of, of the story. So I just really admired, I, I have to rewatch it again. It's been a while. And as I'm talking, it's coming back to me a bit, but mm -hmm. I remember taking that uh, from that story and saying, wow, like that was so cool that they didn't make him be, you know, the be all end all character. Right. Because that's the, the story of Jesus, right. We've seen it in so yeah. many, it's the most oh, ripped off story of yeah. all time. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Harry Potter, the Very same well thing. Put. Yeah. I do yeah, want to, I do want to mention though, with Harry Potter, by the way, <laughs> I'm going off a mm -hmm. rant here, but I want to mention yeah, Harry Potter is I'll give a credit um, to the books, to JK Rowling, because if you watch the movies, it's a bit annoying because he's a chosen one and everyone reveres him and loves him and adores him really like puts him on a pedestal and you get that yeah. vibe kind of like Neo in the matrix, right? He's the one that has to you know save us from everyone. The philosophy is written, whatever, but the books I took an appreciation and I saw what she was trying to do is, Yes, yes, there was a philosophy written and I bought into that because they're dealing with magic and they're dealing with all uh, sorts of powers. So I believed in mm -hmm. some sort of sorcery. And, and if anyone's telling a prophecy, it would be that, uh, that kind of genre, right? Like that fantasy yeah, element. Yeah. Sure. However, the way, they writ the, the way she wrote Harry Potter and how he had flaws and how he would get angry, he's yeah. not depicted as he is in the movies when you read the books. My perception yeah. of the character was he had a lot of issues. He had a lot of trauma yeah. in his life. Yeah, he evolved a lot. Yeah. And he evolved a lot. And he he was yeah. telling people off. He was telling Hermione to yeah. shut up. He was like mm -hmm. like like angry. When he was angry, he was angry. And yeah. he had he he at one point didn't even tolerate bullshit. In the movies, yeah. you know, he's a whimsical character and he he tries to always be the good no, man. They, they played certain elements of that in the movie too, which I was appreciative of right. as well. But, you know, it's funny because um, since you brought up Harry Potter, one thing that I don't think a lot of people realize because it was such an almost throwaway plot line was the fact that had Voldemort, wow, this is uh, 
we're really delving into deep, deep material here, man. But yeah, once yeah. Voldemort selected Harry, it made him the chosen one. But per the infrastructure that kind of led up to that, it could have easily been Neville, right? And like, mm-hmm. that's something that it's funny because I don't think, I don't think enough thought is given to the fact of how random that that decision to have Harry be the be all end all was like Voldemort had two choices Neville on one side Harry on one on the other the prophecy alluded to both of them it could have been either or Voldemort happened to choose Harry Uh, otherwise the the whole series could have easily been Neville and the Philosopher's Stone you know yeah Neville Longbottom mind you may not have the same ring to it but Neville Neville Longbottom and the Goblet of Fire (laughs) (laughs) I can see it on the shelves right now in in Um, in another since since MCU is going all into this multiverse and all that you know another world in another universe it's uh, becoming meta now it's it's just taking another I uh, feel like you know what I don't know about you, Daniel, uh, but I grew up with uh, with comic books, you know, like that was Mm -hmm. my earliest form of literary uh, appreciation was comic books. Yeah. So the the ideas and the the themes um, and credit to like some of these comic book writers uh, for pushing their art of storytelling to a genre to to a point where now the art form like the the cinematic industry looks to them for stories yeah you know like how crazy yeah. is that you know like yeah but i mean i i have such an appreciation for that and um it's really kind of like for all of the moaning and you know deservedly so in some ways but for all of the moaning of like all these ip franchises and and all of that like there's a reason man like it's not like it's not like people are going to that well because there's nothing coming out of it like there's freaking gold coming out of it you know so it's it's uh and they're making it work they're making it work and that's what i that's that's what i've noticed is they're trying their 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 best and you know not every story is going to sell um i'm appreciating for example wandavision um a little yeah because they're being creative about it like they're not just throwing it out of the hat and say oh what happened to wanda after what they're they're saying what would happen um you know, to a character, to a character that yeah. exactly to experiencing that trauma of losing someone yeah. they loved, right? And they really yeah. dive into it and, and they do it in a creative way. And it starts to make sense why they, they do the yeah. sitcoms. I, t- friends were texting, yeah. me, like, I don't get this. Yeah. And I said, yeah, it's going to make sense. I enjoyed <laughs> yeah, it because yeah. it was a throwback. Same. And it was, yeah. it was, again, I was charming. I love all media, but it has to make sense. Homages, man. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, and, but I'm it has to make but the audience, right, has a right to question it because, again, back to as storytellers, as writers, we, as much as we like to throw, om- you know, tributes, homages, whatever, we have to make sure it's cohesive. Agreed. And they're starting to now, you know, unravel and, and make it, make it. See, I don't want to spoil the last episode I watched, but I said, okay, that's the kicker. That's the one. That's the, now I can see why uh, mm-hmm. it plays into a part in the story. So, I mean, yeah, it's with, very important. With- with 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 Wanda bleh, with WandaVision, um, in the lead up to it, because it was the MCU's first foray into kind of television and kind of um, series uh, format. Although you could argue that everything they've done throughout the other phases was all a form of right. kind of a limited release kind of story, although in a much larger scale. Nonetheless, there was uh, certainly from my standpoint, I was a little bit curious 
to see if this was just going to be a let's throw the full weight of the MCU marketing machine behind this and a whole bunch of millions of dollars and whatever comes out comes out and they didn't take that route and they should be applauded for that you know so well i i often joke around with one of my friends um about the marvel like the mcu the direction because as much as i love the movies i'm also afraid it's going to get to a point where it's overdone and there's nowhere else to go and it is possible it's a legit concern yeah it's a legit concern you know all genres die right and then they come back and then they die and then they come back 100 yeah no totally um so it's just like westerns right westerns used to be the shit like everybody yeah. watched westerns back in the day yeah. now westerns yeah. you can never I, I haven't seen a lot the last one i've seen probably was Django and chain right yeah. and that was it, tarantino's eyes a seller yeah. <laughs> so, it requires a certain yeah. special kind of talent to, to it does run with a western idea now and yeah but who's Tarantino to say in 10 years be, yeah, yeah 100%. But who's yeah. to say in 10 years right it comes back and then there's a whole market for it in like for 30 years span and then it stops again right um i believe every every genre has their moment and yeah. superheroes right now we're in, we're experiencing the renaissance as they say we're experiencing a time when it's at its peak um a lot of stories like you said are inspired by comic books and the market's there you know video yeah. games are, are yeah. you know, miles they made a miles morales video game for spider-man for the ps5 yeah. launch like that's huge that's huge. absolutely yeah and it's just going to go keep going and keep going until, you know, they run out of ideas. One of the things that I'm kind of on the fence about is this show I see looming called what if, and that's basically what if certain events in the Marvel universe never happen. And I was joking around with a friend on one of the podcasts saying, isn't that just um, a cheap way to tell another story and make money, <laughs> right? Like an alternative version. It's like us yeah. writing an alternative version of crack. Like what if he yeah. never had mental yeah. illness? Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like how would his life be, you know? But, but see, again, I, I kind of, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I don't yeah, no, yeah, I'm curious to see where you're going to, where, where I was just going to say, like, yeah. we can't, we can't judge though, right? As much as no. I'm, I'm poking fun, I'm being a bit of a shit. We can't uh, judge unless we see it for ourselves. And I'm, I'm a huge firm believer on that. So I'm not going to judge it uh, further until I watch it. Right. Like yeah. that series. I mean, I agree with you. And I, and I think that most people now have kind of adopted a, a very, a certain level of patience um, towards these big budget films, because again, they've, they've seen that filmmakers, even in that genre are willing and able to execute well thought out mm-hmm. stories within it. Um, but the what if series for me is quite intriguing because of the familiarity people have with so many of these storylines mm-hmm. and so many of these characters, um, you know, the, the story of Spider-Man, and Captain America and, and all these well, well-known established characters in the, in pop culture, really. They're the not icons, even just like comic. Yeah, they're icons, they're giants. Um, but like now to kind of force people to reconcile what they thought they knew with this brand new, potentially inversed uh, interpretation of them, I think comes with a lot of possibilities. So I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Let's just say that. I right. feel like, I feel like if, if they go, um, if they really kind of push the envelope and there's been nothing to kind of make me think that they're not, I think that it's going to be a, a really interesting take. Yeah, yeah. It's my, my biggest concern is because as you were speaking, I'm just thinking, you know, even, as much as, I'm enjoying WandaVision. I'm, I'm just, I can't help but think what's the, instead of it being always the villain of the month or the day or whatever have you, it, what's the stake? Like what's the, what's the big looming threat? Um, yeah. The MCU, the reason why I give it credit is, 
yes, it was going on for like 22 films, but mm-hmm. everyone knew that it was going to end somehow with this Thanos threat that was first introduced in the Avengers. And we mm-hmm. didn't know much about him. We didn't know, or at least I didn't, but someone like yourself mm-hmm. who's in comic books, right? You knew probably his backstory and where it was going to lead. But for someone like me that was just watching it from a, you know, to an average audience perspective, I, uh, I didn't really know what to make of it, but I was excited. I was intrigued. I was saying to myself, you know, how could it end? I remember watching Infinity War. See, Endgame, as much as I enjoyed it, Infinity mm-hmm. War was like edge of the seat because yeah. I really didn't know how far they were going to take it. And I didn't know, yeah. like when Tony Stark gets stabbed uh, yeah. by Thanos with his own blade, I was like, oh, that's it. Because I knew, again, this is what kind of sucks, but it's where reality kind of... Uh, I know where you're going with it. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It kind of yeah, comes yeah. in where it's like, you know, Tony, Robert Downey Jr. in real life, you know, he, he's a person, contracts yeah. and right. We, yeah. we know this yeah. as filmmakers too. Yeah. It's just legalities. Yeah. It's the way it is. Sure. I'm saying to myself, yeah. is he really going to be in the phase four? Probably not. So he's mm-hmm. going to die in either this movie or the next movie. That's why mm-hmm. I didn't get choked up when he did die in Endgame. I was probably one of the mm-hmm. few people that I was like nodding my head like, okay, that was a good way yeah. that they sent them off. Because I'm saying you're going to have to kill him. How are you going to do it? That was yeah. the biggest concern <laughs> for me. Everyone else yeah. was like... My buddy was like texting me just, and <laughs> I was just like, I don't know. Like it was emotional, but it needed to be done. You yeah, know what I mean? Like that done. was the Absolutely. send off for the character. And, and not just the send off, man. It was the, yeah. uh, it was the, it was from a story, from a character arc standpoint. And this is, I'm sure exactly. been analyzed to death mm-hmm. now at this point because of how well versed the audiences are now. But from a character arc standpoint, that was the, not just the logical conclusion of his character arc and the way that it was going, but it was also the most rewarding for mm-hmm. if you considered yourself a Tony Stark or an Iron Man fan within the MCU, then what better ending after being called selfish, not a team player, blah, 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 exactly. you know, exactly. and for him to do that, like, that's, that's about as good as it gets, right? And like, I agree with you, though, on one point, and I'm glad you said it. I don't think a lot of people... I don't think a lot of people would agree with you, even though if they if they thought about it for a minute, they probably would. Infinity mm-hmm. War was the more uh, dynamic movie for me. I enjoyed Endgame more because of my comic book um, mm-hmm. background and everything. I I enjoyed Endgame more because of the fan service, right? Like right the the the. the, the the see the you know the Avengers assemble scene like it never till now fails to give me like goosebumps and shit. So yeah, I think that um, that, like that for scene me was yeah scene. oh epic. You know that's gonna go down in cinematic history. Avengers, but, yeah, yeah. But like yeah, yeah. The, I agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent, Daniel. Infinity War was definitely the wilder ride of the two. I think definitely that's, more yeah. suspenseful. I, I want to just I want to just mention something. I I think this is why we gravitate to each other and why, especially yourself, because you've come to me with the notion of you're very into dark and gritty storytelling. I'm I don't know if anyone picked it up yet, but I'm a very crazy guy in the sense that I'm I'm the kind of guy where I would kill off Tony Stark in Infinity War, same throw off the audience and like mm-hmm. that stab because what mm-hmm. it is is that it puts the characters in a situation of how do we avenge this person that died for us? Yeah. You know what I mean? That, yeah. that fought to the end. And it also uh, is a feeling of despair for the audience, mm-hmm. like uncertainty. If I could put mm-hmm. the audience in a believable place of uncertainty, mm-hmm. there's something so there's satisfying. An there's 100%. an accomplishment. And then when you can reward them in a different way. Now, it's not the ending that 
maybe it's not the way they want it to happen, but guess mm-hmm. what? That's reality. And that's why yeah. I wanted to make a, a point that I forgot you were talking about how, you know, people want um, this thing about interpretation. They want to, they want everything to be open to interpretation because they feel like that's a good story, but yet they want everything to be wrapped up in a nice bow. Yeah. My whole thing is unless you're jumping the shark, why is it that people yell at the screen and say, Oh my God, why didn't, why did that happen? Why didn't he just like hit him? Why didn't he reality happens? Life happens. Mm -hmm. People don't Mm -hmm. do things that make sense. Mm -hmm. Why did you lose a job after dedicating 25 years of your life at a company? You know what I mean? Like things just happen. And what I'm trying to get at is, Sometimes when we watch movies, I think the best movies are the ones where we can acknowledge and say, you know what, maybe that just happened. Obviously, we have to justify it in, the, in our writing. We can't just throw things out there and expect the audience to buy it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes things, like you said with Prometheus, I believe from a filmmaker standpoint, maybe they're just leaving it open-ended and maybe you ask, maybe allowing the audience to ask so many questions because that is religion. That mm-hmm. is how we Absolutely. look at our, our faith system. There are yeah. people constantly... The Bible exists, but yet there are people that are still questioning death. Why are they questioning where you go if it's written in the Bible? Because life is about interpretation. That's the human experience. That is the human condition. You know, Mm -hmm. we are, we are meant to always ask questions to always never be satisfied. It's what drove us forward. It's what drove us to this place in existence. And I, I think it's something to say where, you know, you have a film like that, where again, I have to rewatch it. I'm sure it has its problems, but from the way you're describing it, you know what? It makes sense because I know it was predicated on the the idea of religion and where we come from, right? Yeah. If I'm correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. So that is a very touchy subject. And the filmmakers aren't going to give you all the right answers in that film. They're just going to try to tell yeah. you, you know, their interpretation of, yeah. you know, what is real. Scholars yeah. have been trying to do it for centuries. Yeah. If if the likes of Aristotle and and Plato and and Rumi haven't figured out life, then guys, I think we're being a bit hard on Ridley Scott for not being able to to give yeah. us the answers. You know what I mean? And yeah, hundred percent, man. Like it's look, it's at the end of the day, uh, or you know, not I shouldn't say at the end of the day because that's in of itself too definitive. But mm-hmm. um, there's got to be an appreciation for asking the question it's not always about getting like somebody's got to bring forth the question for perhaps somebody else to bring forth the answer you know and and the gutsy filmmakers the gutsy storytellers the gutsy um you know innovators are always the ones that have to start with the questions that nobody else was either thinking of or Mm -hmm. or or um and with the necessary intestinal fortitude to be able to bring those questions forward to the light of the masses, because being picked apart like that, like hundred percent Ridley Scott knew that that was going to be analyzed in question hundred percent. The guys who did that Sopranos final episode knew that yeah. that was going to be analyzed in question, you know, yeah. but like it, it's got it. Um, one of the best if not the best show yes i will say this daniel i will go on the record and say the best show i've ever watched was the wire right i don't think i'm saying anything i have to watch um, i have to watch that one but i've heard a lot of great things oh 100 man i'm happy to kind of re-watch that it was breaking bad before breaking bad (laughs) bro like there's so many elements that's brought forward in the wire but like when you look at it 
um, because it was made during obviously a different period in, in history, right? Compared to now. Yeah. Uh, but when you look back on it and you watch it, like I, w- I wonder, first of all, it was not a huge success right out of the gate. It was mm-hmm. not, um, it was not necessarily immediately recognized as this um, new yardstick at all. Um, mm-hmm. But in retrospect, when you watch it with the, I don't know if, if you watch it without the understanding, but it's one of the best shows because I already knew that it was already it was heavily recommended to me, almost right. to the point of like threatening, like motherfucker, you need to go yeah, watch yeah. this. If show you don't watch this, I'm gonna shoot. Yeah, like we ain't friends anymore. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So like, I did watch it knowing that people had such high opinions of it, but when you watch it, and unless you've got that already un- understanding, I want it's almost it's it's a fair question to ask while you're watching while you're watching it especially in the earlier episodes like why is this so good you know but then you start to realize like the contributions that each character makes that you know contributes to this rich vibrant tapestry even though it's all kind of packaged as shit like it's all about like the human condition and how bleak it is and 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 kind of you know how how much of a, a failed experiment (laughs) <laughs> almost like the city of Baltimore and all of its various institutions are that's how it's it's portrayed right but it's a social order, commentary I just wanted to add it was a social yeah. commentary on uh, the war on drugs no it was a social commentary on a city's on a city's failing war on drugs mm, okay. you know what I mean like yeah it, the big part about it was David Simon, I, I hope I'm saying the name, or I've got the right name. Oh, that's great. Especially, <laughs> yeah. especially I with can confirm me that. ranting about how much I love it. But, <laughs> for sure, for sure. But, like, David see. Simon was, yeah. was big on, like, kind of articulating that, you know, yeah. like, guys, we're not winning this war, you know? And, like, and, and these there's real grassroots lives that are kind of, that are kind of involved in this, and, and this is the kind of toll it's taking. And he's, he's good at, one of the good things about it is there's no kind of, um, you know, nobody's hot. The, the, the audience isn't on their high, they're, they're not on a proverbial high horse while they're watching it. You know, as an audience, you're, you're brought down into the trenches, into the gutter with these characters. And, and it allows you to kind of empathize with them. And honestly, Daniel, like a, a huge part of my appreciation for storytelling in a gritty form through a gritty lens comes from stuff like that you know like it's uh when you can make something beautiful come from that like like Tupac said right like a rose that grew out of concrete uh if you can do that then you've elevated your your craft your ability to do your craft has clearly been elevated to a point Mm -hmm. where you've accomplished something um because yeah man like if you can if you can do that successfully and there's been you know what's interesting i'm gonna ask you a question sure what do you if you had to name like who the the two biggest icons of of like the superhero world who would you say they are um like based on my my experience as like a viewer yeah or or even what you think is is pop culture's um understanding two two biggest uh that always pop up i would probably say spider-man and batman dude you yeah. took the perfect one oh, okay, yeah man. no absolutely exactly <laughs> i'm not even gonna say that's, yeah that's exactly man. we're well we're compatible <laughs> no um, absolutely because like it's both of them portray 
the world at a very street level at a, in a very kind of you know spider-man for compared to like the rest of the mcu is gritty you know what i mean mm -hmm. like he's not up in the stars in asgard he's not um you know he's not fighting aliens with the guardians of the galaxy and stuff like that he's fighting a dude with like eight mechanical arms and like a guy dressed in a bird costume, you know? And like, yeah. that's, and like, that's what, that's, that's what's resonated with people. You know, Batman was like the most kind of darkest, grittiest of all, of all of the superheroes really. And, well, and he yet, fought with his been... bare hands. Like he, he yeah, man, he, should have, yeah. he trained like yeah. Christopher Nolan, the way he dove into the character. That's why he, he's right. You praise him. Yeah. Yeah, he had he that was his goal as a filmmaker. Yeah. He's like, I have to tell a story of Batman because when he would read the comics, it's kind of like how we interpret it is Batman's not these flashy superheroes. This guy's like yeah. beating people to a pulp. Now yeah. that could be grounded in reality. How could we best, you know, make it believable to the audience? And it shows you right Batman begins, he goes through uh, training, you know, he buys yeah. the military gear, he basically uses yeah. his money to get to that point. So it would make sense. He's a billionaire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No worries. Mm -hmm. But Spider-Man, right? The reason why I mentioned Spider-Man is because, yes, he's, uh, although he's uh, in a flashy suit and he's battling, you know, these guys that, like you said, have feathers like the Vulture or, <laughs> you know, just weird, you know, contraptions like Doc Ock. I think why they keep remaking it and why they just can't give it up or why Sony does not give Disney the full rights is because mm -hmm. there's something compelling about a character where he's a superhero, but mm -hmm. he's so vulnerable Yes. And he's so humble that yes. he doesn't even see himself as a superhero. If you watch the movies, any iteration, mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. never have a moment where he's cocky about being Spider-Man. He's cocky yes. about his confidence. The times he is, though, the times yes. he is, it always comes back to like, it haunts seriously, yes. Yes. yeah, no. I, I shouldn't, yeah. I shouldn't say that. There are, there are times that the, the, those are the break, those are the, the, the moments that define him, those are the defining moments, mm -hmm. like with the Uncle mm -hmm. Ben scene. That's a perfect example, yes. right? Yeah. Where it gets, it's starting to get to him, right? And that's the mm -hmm. whole speech about great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. However, as a, as a character overall, it never, he, he never acknowledges or embraces the idea that he, he's um, on the same level as Iron Man or, and when they do, I should say in Spider-Man Homecoming, for instance, I like that you know, Iron Man has a moment with him and he says, if you're, if you're nothing with, without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. Yeah. yeah and yeah. that's, that's to any superhero really is, or any human being, right. Yeah. People that, you know, flash around, Oh, I got like a thousand followers, 50,000 followers on my verified account. Cause those are our superhero superpowers in real life. Or I got a lot of money or, you know, I got a lot of attention here. It's a, yeah, but without those things, what are you? Are you a good person? Do you have good intentions? Do you have values? Mm -hmm. Are you intelligent? Mm -hmm. Um, if you don't have those things, then you're nothing without them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, they're all just, they're true. just flashy items that you dangle in front of people's faces to convince you that you're a better person. Right. And yeah. that's why I love that, that line. And I send it to uh, my buddies that are into Marvel, especially one of them. Uh, he loves that line too, because we both idolize those characters, Spider-Man and Iron Man. And mm -hmm. when they had that exchange, when they had that moment, he was basically telling him to grow up and say, you know, if you go around with this suit thinking you're the best, you're not. Because if yeah. you can't handle it, right? Yeah. So when he takes that away from him, that's his moment as, as, as that's his defining moment. So again, when, like you said, when he does take it too far and he says, you know, I, I'm fine being Spider-Man and, you know, I don't need to tolerate anything else. That's when it slaps him in the face. As He's humbled it should. hard. That's yeah. humbled yeah. hard. And that's reality. Yeah. That's reality yeah. where anytime we get too carried away, you can never be overconfident, right? 
you can mm -hmm. never be overconfident, especially when we're writing or when we're doing directing. That's why you always hear me, especially when I'm on set, I make a decision, but at the same time, I also am curious if I'm not really sure about something I'll ask, you know, yourself or people we work with, what, what, what should, what, how should I set up this shot or how, what, what do you guys feel? Because you can never not have inspiration. There's inspiration from anyone, anything, everybody's creative. There's, there's a reason why they're there, you know, yeah, especially if you're dealing with the people that are uh, creating the story with you. I mean, for me, it's um, so I started as you, as you, as you said, I, I, I'm a practitioner of the writing arts uh, first. However, um, I, early on, I, I, uh, I gained, I wanted to understand better the role of the actor and, and kind of what, not just what their purposes or their role in terms of making the film or, or the value that they provide, but I also wanted to understand the challenges and the experience from their, their standpoint, um, which is why I went into, I, I got into acting was because initially it was just about understanding what their experience would be. So then I could empower them better um when i'm doing what i do but to your point like once i did that you understand that with the amount of i can't really think of a better word so i'm going to say leverage i'm going to say the amount of leverage that they can have upon a final product of the film that is the film you appreciate then all of the con the cont contributions that come from every single uh participant in a film or, or a tv show or even a commercial then like I, i've done yeah. i've written commercials and nice. i've i've yeah and, and i uh, i i was lucky enough to be cast in one of the commercials in a very small role right oh, wow. but yeah. it was a really interesting experience because the guys the, the 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 team that was involved in producing directing filming there was no thought amongst them that, oh, we're just filming a commercial, like we're of some lower art form or anything. And, and you know, good, you know, because the, the energy they brought was just as significant. You know, the amount of creativity that goes into it was just as as daunting and, and it, it paid off just as much when people really kind of pushed the envelope of that. So, like, it's it's crazy that. Uh, it's it's crazy and it's it's a beautiful thing about how much of a symbiotic process um making a finished film tv show or commercial can be because you really do need everybody kind of firing on all cylinders to to come away with something great um and you you need everyone to be respectful of everyone else's not just contributions but of the space they need to make those contributions one of the things that i I loved with working uh, with you on set was that mm -hmm. as not just as a writer, but I, because I was acting in, in, in that project as well, of course, um, there was a lot of room to do, to kind of, you know, uh, improvise in, 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 you know, if, if we felt that the dialogue upon our first take just didn't pop enough, you know, of well, course. okay, so let's, let's go back and, and write that. And I'd like to think that, you know, even though that, myself and Koso, we wrote it like we I, I'd like to think allowed for contributions from everybody mm -hmm. um, with, you know, the actors with you as a director to kind of make your suggestions um, and their suggestions for what they felt would have been more authentic, more organic. Um, and for me, from an acting standpoint, I appreciated the 
the freedom to be able to articulate what I thought. Because, you know, as a writer, as, as somebody who's part of the conceptualization process, mm -hmm. you, you can be easily removed away from the, the, the challenge and the reward that an actor can attain by contributing their own interpretation because they have in a lot of ways you know what i mean like when if you not the best analogy daniel mm -hmm. so uh, pardon me on this but if you sure. if you liken the making of a movie to a war right like a general can give orders and can direct and say you know what we need to shore up the the eastern flank and mm -hmm. so on and so forth but there's no way that he can properly understand what somebody who's on the very uh, you know, in the trenches, in, 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 in no man's land, actually seeing across from him the enemy or the challenge, if we want to take it casually back into acting verse, um, the, the challenge of like articulating what he feels this character would do. I mean, that's not to say it's always true or right, right, being in, in right. air quotes, but mm -hmm. um, there's definitely going to be insights that can be provided from somebody in the headspace of that role that somebody who's sitting back and has got this grand view can't get too granular sometimes into that into that demands and everything so it's um you know yeah, it's, it's, it's it's the actors are just as creative and that's that's absolutely. kind of that's why i, and they I need to be yeah and that's why i approached the project the way i did is I looked at, again, I looked at the directors that I look up to and inspired by. And I'm, I'm thank you for, for mentioning that point um, because the reason why you heard me a lot dealing with the actors uh, like yourself saying, you know, we're going to do this take. I want you to just say the lines, how you interpret them. And then I'll come mm -hmm. in and I'll try and like give you my interpretation of how I see it. And maybe we can go from there. Almost like yeah. a negotiation at one point. Yeah. And um, several directors have said that where they, that's their style. I know Scorsese, that's his style. Uh, that's how we filmed The Wolf of Wall Street, particularly. Um, mm -hmm. It was a lot of improv. That's why it was so funny. It was improvisation. It was- Dude, you can know, you imagine that flick without Matthew McConaughey doing that no. now iconic, right? Like that. But that's what that I mean was, by the director yeah. being smart enough, right? Yeah. The talented yeah. enough and trusting, yeah. right? Because you have to also have the confidence to, to do that and, and confidence in your actors. But I think it all pertains back to, because you were going on about- you know, to telling me that I was, you, you noticed how everyone was professional and everyone kind of did their role and you, you enjoyed the fact that I uh, was respecting the actor's role as well and your interpretation of the script. It all goes back to the reason why you had that experience. You have to respect the story. Anytime mm -hmm. you bring on someone that's doing a project, they have to respect the story at its core. If you're not going to yeah. respect the story, if you're just doing it for the paycheck or if you're just doing it simply because you need a demo reel, you're yeah. never going to get your optimal performance or your Absolutely. optimal um, contribution to the project. So mm -hmm. coming onto this project with you and Kosa, the reason why I kept reiterating with you guys, I've dealt with this issue. I've dealt with this subject matter. I'm going th through it myself. Um, I'm, this is what I'm learning from it. It's because I respected the content, the subject matter. I respected mm -hmm. what you guys were trying to deliver to the audience. And if I was coming in saying, oh, like poor, poor bastard, like he has, he has some depressive tendencies, like, you know, he should just like work out or he should just, you know, take a pill for that. <laughs> then I would never respect the story. I could be as flashy yeah. and stylistic as I can. I could still come on and say, hey, guys, I can interpret it this way. But yeah, you're never going to get a camera angle and check out this lens. that I'm Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. But even if I were to pull the whole, you know, because I try to be a con artist, maybe I'm like saying, Danny, why don't you interpret it this way instead of that way? Mm-hmm. I would, it would never be authentic in the sense that a, a great uh, a film director from Los Angeles had did a podcast with him and he was explaining what we, as filmmakers, we all agree. Just like numbers don't lie, the camera doesn't mm-hmm. lie. The camera, mm-hmm. the audience sees everything. The audience sees um, if you're trying to pull a fast one, if you're, if you don't know your lines, if you don't believe in what you're conveying to the audience, whether it's from a cinema, cinema, cinematographer, <laughs> cinematic <laughs> point of view. <laughs> I was trying to be all fancy with my wording. Yeah, yeah, no, I was they will pick it. Yeah, that. right. <laughs> Just let me fall on it. <laughs> it's okay. I'll, I'll be the better man and tell you that you were right about the uh, wire creator, David Simon. <laughs> nice, right on. Yeah, oh, yeah, dude, you killed was, it. You killed I would have been brutal if I wasn't. <laughs> David, hope you're listening. Yeah, yeah. I know everyone. <laughs> What's that guy that that Bob Tarantino? You know, he did Pulp Fiction. Bob. What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, so, that's not Tortellini. Pretty. What was that? Best like... <laughs> is on oh, the man. Joe Rogan podcast, and they're like, uh, "I love when he has Joey Diaz because he's the only one that says it's so true." As celebrities, you always call them by their first and last name, right? Yeah. Like Quentin Tarantino, but Joe D- Joey Diaz, he's always like Joe Rogan. That's not how it is. Joe Rogan, you should do it like <laughs> this. And someone in the comments was like, "I think someone should tell Joey that." Uh, it's his first name is Joe, not Joe Rogan, <laughs> right? Because yeah, yeah. when you think about it, when you're talking to someone, right, from a person to person standpoint, it's like, why would you call them? It's like me calling you the whole time, like, listen, Danny Mariathis, like, you need to understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, your name is Danny. Anyway, side point. But before we no. wrap this up, because we've been point. talking mm-hmm. about, it, we were talking about a lot of uh, Marvel and DC comic books and authenticity to characters and cinema as a whole. I, I wanted to ask you for this for a while, actually. Scorsese once made a comment about Marvel movies not being cinema. What's mm. your What's your impression on that? I uh, I couldn't disagree more. Um, I, you know what, the superhero movies at one point in time, sure, I, I can I can agree they were very kind of um, formulaic and the payoff for anybody watching them was always generally going to be the same um i with i ever since batman begins ever since iron man there's been so many layers added on to not all of them obviously you know what i mean some of them are just plain goofy fun with very little else going captain on Batman. yeah captain marvel, captain marvel. <laughs> uh, although you could you know what no okay I, I'm going to, unpopular opinion alert, Daniel. Okay, okay. I'm going to say that Captain Marvel gets a lot of flack unfairly. And here's why. Okay. All of the uh, characters previously had some form of cachet. You know, they had clout, mm. right? They, they were well-known characters for the most part. Um, the ones that weren't like the Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff had stellar synergy, and cinematography, great casting, and also an ensemble cast, right? So like, that cannot be understated. Like Guardians of the Galaxy would not be what it was if it was just Chris Pratt playing Star-Lord in a vacuum of like no-name characters, you know? Um, Captain Marvel had a very daunting task, much like Doctor Strange, which is also kind of similarly pegged into the same kind of niche uh, market in terms of its appeal um, in the sense that like they weren't well-known characters even amongst the comic book casual to hardcore fans like there weren't 
a whole lot of, I didn't buy a whole lot of Captain Marvel comic books. I didn't buy a whole lot of Doctor Strange comic books. They were just not the guys for me or, or the characters that, you know, I was an X-Men, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, like the the, the old guard, if you will. I mean, not to say Captain Marvel wasn't, I mean, she was well-established and so on and so on. But the task that was ahead of Brie Larson um, coming in as a relatively, I mean, she'd done work. You know what I mean? She'd been out there. She'd, she'd put projects together. Uh, I personally didn't know her outside of her cameo in Community. And I, that was pretty much it. And oh, really? Like, you didn't watch a room no. or anything? Or 21 no, Jump Street? No. no, no. Was she in 21 Jump Street? Yeah, she was the uh, the love interest for Joy Hill. What? The high school. Okay. Yeah, the high school girl. That was her first. I think that was her breakthrough, That what you would consider a breakthrough. I don't know if it was her first okay. role, but I know it was a breakthrough. Yeah. I mean, but that movie was, she was, that it was overshadowed by... You know the other people that were no for sure yeah there was definitely better yeah yeah i I didn't even remember that that or recognize that she was in that like but anyways i mean it was uh the the most well-known character in captain in captain marvel was nick Fury. you know what i mean outside of that like everybody else was a new uh introduction and addition and there's something it for what it had to overcome as well as just the sheer amount of idiotic haters that was ready and willing uh, to just shit on the movie before it even came out and before they watched it was, you know, it was always not going to be an Iron Man or a Captain America or a Thor, you know, it wasn't. And and plus the fact that she's a female lead, like any movie with a female lead is always going to face challenges, unfortunately. And like, you know, for with all with that amongst all the other challenges, like, Captain Marvel, in my opinion, was a success. I enjoyed it. I've watched mm-hmm. it twice, three times, maybe even. Mm-hmm. You know, the the climactic scene where she um, understands that the powers that had, no, sorry, drop those air quotes, the powers that had been given to her were actually holding her back. And I thought yeah. that was a really clever kind of way to kind of, because she's such an over OP character that like, it was going to be challenging as well to kind of humanize her in a way that she wasn't just going to be running rampant throughout the flick, beating up everybody. And that was a very clever way of them doing that, you know, and for that alone, they should have gotten props. And then for the store and then for the, um, for the overall kind of theme of overcoming and, and believing in yourself. Sure. They're well-known, well-trodden uh, uh, tropes, but mm-hmm. it was still executed very well. Um I felt like Doctor Strange was in a similar, like, sure, Benedict Cumberbatch was a more well-known entity uh, or commodity to be able to start that movie off with already. Um, but it was still kind of a lot of, it didn't get like the the same acclaim that all of the other MCUs like Scott because of the same reason. Like not too many people knew Doctor Strange and like there wasn't as fanatic of a, of a, of a audience ready to kind of embrace it already like people had to kind of be lured it's it was more traditional those were more traditional movies in a lot of ways because of that there wasn't mm-hmm. sure the marvel machine was there to promote and etc but like in terms of taking a story and putting it on the screen they had to deal with a more kind of conventional um challenge of doing it. and i thought both were really good considering well, that thank you thank you for that because you actually opened my mind <laughs> to the, the movie i watched it only mm-hmm. once and mm-hmm. i think i'm a firm believer if you watch it over and over again it could 
uh, do a disservice because you could uh, not appreciate it as much or you can appreciate mm -hmm. it even better. So I yeah. do want to check it out more uh, after that interpretation. And thank you for providing credibility to my uh, comment about there's no such thing as a bad movie because yeah. you see how what I'm telling, telling the audience is Danny watched that movie. And as much as I hear a lot of people shit on it, someone like Danny will say, no, but I enjoyed how they humanized a character that was extremely overpowered, extremely um, a force to be reckoned with. And instead of her making it uh, Thanos's kryptonite, if you will, I know that's not probably mm. the best word to use. <laughs> no, no, it's accurate. It's, it's, right. It's accurate, but yeah. It, yeah. you, you basically, yeah. Um, made me see the character from another perspective. So I like that interpretation and that that's something that I enjoyed. I think it was just a lot of movies like that. This is what I mean. They're trying uh they have a they have a good story at their core there's just a mm -hmm. lot of external factors a lot of meta that's uh overshadowing it so you got the whole mm -hmm. feminism movement on top mm -hmm. of that you got this marketing behind the climactic uh battle of the mcu right because it just came before the end, end game so i think a lot of people were just like show me end game i don't care about captain marvel spinoff I, I don't feel people were like focused enough or concentrated um analyzing yeah, but, the story maybe yeah but you know what it's um I, and I, I want to be really careful here because of obviously where we are in a culture right now, this might be, uh, this might be a little too controversial, but why is it then that the same criti critiques were, were not levied at uh, Black Panther? You know, like mm -hmm. we're, we're talking about two different groups that have been similarly, no, no, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> two different groups that were, um, that had to earn their place within the MCU and within kind of cinema, definitely within cinema. And Black Panther came in and was a force to be reckoned with from the get-go, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, sure, absolutely. Uh, Michael B. Jordan's take on Killmonger and just the character as it was created, uh, conceptualized and executed was was a force of nature it was it, it was incredible to me killmonger overshadowed black panther in that movie i, right. I, I have no qualms about saying yeah that. same here yeah yeah like he was for me the most dynamic and and awe inspiring the one that captured my attention the most was was killmonger well he felt um, like the most human character and i loved too, his motives 100%. his motives were yeah. very complex uh very. and again back to our whole concept about three uh, characters being three-dimensional it wasn't so easy to root for him and it wasn't so easy to to Empathize. you know be against him right yeah because yeah. he was he had a, he had a pretty strong motive and i enjoyed mm -hmm. that motive you know how he mm -hmm. wanted to uh basically redeem all the all the suffering that black people went through and you know him saying you know we have this technological mecca <laughs> and mm -hmm. we're not even you know helping our people you know, yeah, I, I've lived through that very, experience, right? Absolutely. And it, I'm so glad you said that because, because he lived through that experience, it lended an authenticity to his character and his actions where you, you couldn't just, you couldn't just brush him aside as like a token bad guy in the MCU. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and I, I don't, you know, I, I'm going off track a bit, but I feel like the, the the same challenges that black panther overcame very successfully i might add 
I don't feel like we in a society are ready to adorn to a movie like um, like Captain Marvel, because on the surface of it, it should have been celebrated irrespective, almost almost irrespective right. of whether or not it was a great flick. It should have been celebrated for the fact of what it accomplished, a female lead superhero in the 1990s where it was set yeah, you know, the it setting, was, yeah. They, they, they made yeah they made a lot of like um they made choices whether or not they're good choices bad choices daring choices can be interpreted there's the people that kind of uh immediately want to shit on captain marvel i feel are not properly taking all of these factors into consideration and if they if they were to kind of look at it through that lens, I think they would probably have to be um, at least acknowledging that on some level it was a success before anyone even watched it. It was a success. It just was, you know, yeah, in my opinion. For sure. No, it, it's uh, definitely something that can't be ignored. And it's something that I, I'm now curious to watch. I got my Disney Plus subscri- subscription. So I'll, yeah, uh, me too. I'll check it out when I get, yeah, right? Now they got Stars yeah. or Star yeah, or whatever. Stars is dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah out, they got have you Aliens. Have catalog, man? No, yeah, I, I, I briefly checked it out, but I'm just like really happy that they have, they yeah, needed man. to, right? From a competitive, are you kidding? Like I was watching Netflix. You know what? Actually, and, no, I'm not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree with you on that. I don't think they needed to because okay. they're Disney. I don't think they needed, <laughs> they needed to, anything. They don't really need anything. Fact, yeah. No, they don't, bro. <laughs> but like the fact that they were fine, the fact that they did it makes me so psyched because now everybody else is gonna have to step up their game. Like Netflix, yeah. I think is still the unignored. It's still like you know the the clear winner of the streaming wars at this yeah. point in time, you know, I don't think they're still pumping like, out they're creative. Just... They're still pumping out original content as much as people, yeah. you know, say, Oh, like they're running out of content or people might not enjoy it. I still enjoy their content. Like they're yeah. documentaries, limited series. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, that the amend bro that... narcos. Narcos? Nar- narcos are what? you kidding like come on but, man. but the like, fact that they're keeping up with it and it's a, yeah, it's a certain style a certain quality of work yeah, that they put yeah. out again disney yeah. yeah you have your whole disney lineup i mean yeah. uh superhero lineup but i want to see other things you know i want to see uh yeah. you you expand into other areas other territories i i really enjoyed this conversation danny and uh, i plan to have more yeah, of these likewise. with you in the future um it's always fun talking about you know the writer's journey talking about how mm-hmm. we stay creative stay inspired and where that you know, inspiration comes from. So we'll, until then we'll talk soon. Anything you have to say to the audience? No, uh, go watch cracked and, uh, look out for, for my dude, Daniel. He's a, a super, uh, exciting, uh, super dynamic, uh, talent. And I think, uh, the, the, the industry is going to have to reckon with that, um, Thank you. <laughs> sooner rather than later. No, for real, man, I'm, I'm super psyched to see what you got coming out. I know you Thank and you. I have a project we're working on, but just like stylistically and um, just like your, your body of work so far speaks volumes for where you're heading. And uh, I'm super excited to uh, to work with you and looking forward to what you're coming out with. Such kind words. I really appreciate that. And I'm stoked to see where our collaboration um, goes in the future. All right. So Time take care, that. everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And until then, we'll talk soon. Bye. Peace out, y'all.